Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Special guest, Jerry Gensler. Let's have a word of prayer before we get started this morning, please. Lord, I truly praise you for Christmas. I praise you for the gift of your son that you, you gave so freely, and, and we cannot even comprehend what it was for God to lower himself, to come down to this earth as a man, to come as a baby. It's, it's phenomenal, Lord, your plan of salvation. We're so thankful for that. Thankful for him going to the cross and fulfilling his duty on earth to carry out your will. Where would we be without the cross, Lord? Eternally lost. We thank you for that. I pray for our time this morning. We would focus our hearts on you and, and look in ourselves and look in the mirror of Scripture and see if there's anything in our hearts that we need to change so we can serve you fully and have the kind of commitment that Christ had at the cross. It's in God's name I pray. Amen. been fighting a cold for about a week and a half, so we're trying to get through this without coughing or blowing our nose or anything like that. But... We're going to talk this morning about destinations now. When, when Pastor first asked me to speak, i got to confess that, that I, uh, I sent out an email to him responding in that, and uh, I thought it was some of my finest work. I gave him three or four really good reasons why I shouldn't preach today, and yet here I am, and God has it all worked. Pastor has that knack about him, though, I can tell you that. If you ever try to turn him down, it's, it's really, really tough. He will probably, he'll probably talk you into it, but I know God had a purpose and a reason. I know some of you don't know anything about me. I teach Sunday school. I've been doing it for 16 years in the back. So if at some point in time I treat you like you're in middle school, that's probably what it is, just old habits coming back. So don't please, no blowing gum, passing notes. Uh, I will take you out to your parents, especially you, because I know where your mother is. So I, I will take you back there in a heartbeat. Appreciate that, Mark. This morning we're going to talk about destinations. And, and in our lives, there's, there's destinations we end up in all situations in our lives. And in different categories, we end up where we're at for certain reasons. Like, uh, let's say our, our careers, for example. Our careers don't just happen by chance. If you have a career, if you're in a, a field, you didn't just wake up one day. Mark didn't go out the door one morning and say, I think I'm going to put braces on kids' teeth. It didn't just happen overnight. He had a plan. He had a course that he went down. And that's where he's at today. We think about our state of health, our physical fitness. That just doesn't happen overnight either. And we have a destination in our lives. I mean, no one forces a gun to our head. It makes us eat that triple cheeseburger milkshake and go take a nap on the couch. We, we make that choice on our own. No one forces us to do that. And I understand there's, there's health issues that happen. There's accidents and there's diseases and there's things out of our control. But for most of us, our health is something that we pretty much set the course for, whether we're healthy or we're not healthy. The same thing is true with our finances. Our finances are that way. Really, there's one we really see it where we, we, we plot a course for our finances and, and we try to take a certain thing, we try to take on too much debt, try to make sure we have enough income. And maybe you, in the last couple of years, put your money in a 401k, thinking that was a good move to make. And if your 401k is anything like mine, mine makes the Hindenburg look like a safe flight. I mean, that, that thing is crash and burn. That was pretty much out of our control. But we have, we have a destination in our finances as we as we set the course as we make choices as we make decisions well our marriages are that way as the older the longer i'm married the more i learn that all the time that marriage is not an accident 
It doesn't happen on its own. It takes work, it takes effort, and we make choices and decisions. We go down a path and it, it affects the outcome, our destination and our marriages. They don't just happen overnight. It's, and sometimes in life, it's, it's almost like we make a wrong turn, like, like when we're on vacation, you know, that's when we don't know where we're going, we're on vacation. If you make that wrong turn on vacation, uh, you can end up lost in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I don't know how you go on vacations. Like, like when we go on vacation, we pretty much try not to go uh, the fastest way. That's really not the way I'm interested in. I'm usually taking a back road. That's usually what I do. I know some of you are like, you know, get on that highway and go as fast as we can. My son, my son-in-law Jeff is probably the king of this. Every time we go to the Outer Banks, he's like on some personal record how fast he wants to get there. I think last year he made it in six hours and two minutes or some crazy thing. Uh, it's funny how Christians don't speed either. We just make good time. Yeah. We, we don't speed, you know. Hey, we made good time today. Driving 92 miles an hour had something to do with it. But, but I know when we go on vacation, we usually take the back road. That's how Kathy and I like to do it. And one time in particular, we were going down in Virginia, and we, I plot a course on the map, and we're, we're going to hug like the mountains, you know, Shen the Shenandoah Mountains around Culpeper, and we're going to head down that way. And uh, I, I plot it all out in the map, you know, I have it all figured out. And one thing about Virginia, I learned about they have these little dinky white road markers on, the, on these back roads, and, and they have tiny little black numbers, and they, they make them small so people from the north can't see where they're going, because they're still bitter about the Civil War. I'm convinced that's what it is. And we're driving along, we're making turns, and this one day we're, we're going, and this road was a beautiful road, it was a blacktop road with a, with a double yellow line, Look, everything was cool. Going along, and pretty soon the double yellow line disappeared. Okay, maybe there's not much traffic on this road. And, and pretty soon the, the, the blacktop ended. And we're going down this dirt road, and the farther we went, the more narrow it got. And finally it was like basically a one-lane road with branches hanging out. And, and I turned to Kathy and said, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're probably not on Route 609. I, I'm... I'm just thinking this probably isn't where we're supposed to be. We made a wrong turn. And eventually, the road, actually, the road came back. We kept going, and it turned back to blacktop, and hey, we loved it. We were in a Jeep. We didn't care. And it all worked out. We made the right turn eventually. But uh, sometimes life is like that. We make a wrong turn, and we, we don't know how to get back on course. Well, I, there's, Jonah had a, some issues in his life, and we're going to study Jonah today. If you haven't gotten to Jonah, turn to Jonah chapter 1. But he made several wrong turns along the way, and I'm hoping that through, through, as we do some observations of Jonah, We'll see some things that help us keep on our journey as we study Jonah. So if you have your Bible open, please turn to Jonah chapter 1 if you haven't already. And we're going to look at four observations from Jonah that I believe can help us stay on our, our trek toward our destination. And I'm going to read uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, the first observation I see from Jonah is that disobedience or obedience affects our destination. Right out of the gate, Jonah's going to make a choice. God gives him a clear command. If you look at it, there's not a lot of gray area in that command, but it's a clear command from Jonah. We want to get some background on Jonah before we get started. Jonah was a prophet from God in Israel. He was under these... Uh, King Jeroboam II. He's not the evil Jeroboam that started the false religion in Israel, but he's the, he's the second Jeroboam. And he's a prophet at that time, and he actually leads some revival in Israel. He's a good prophet. He's an experienced prophet. He's not a new convert. He's not new to Christianity or, or the, the Jewish law of Moses or anything. He's an experienced prophet. That's the first thing I want to get for a background. He's not a new believer. He's not a rookie. God didn't send him out to this mission as a rookie. I noticed that when we're first saved, God doesn't give us these incredible tasks to do normally. He works us through that, and then we're more experienced, then he sends us on harder tasks. 
And that's what we noticed with Jonah. Now, Jonah also had this incredible hatred for the Assyrians. And, and it's hard for us to get the context of that because we're, we're in this age of Christian love and unity and, and we don't really understand the hatred he had there. But to put it in our own perspective, the Assyrians were a brutal, vicious enemy of Israel. They were constantly a threat, constantly they were that bully next door at this time period. And you remember where, where you were on September 11, 2001? Has, can anybody really forget that day? I, I know I can't. And I remember hearing that the plane flew into the tower, and I remember looking out my window, and it was crystal clear. It was perfectly clear. And I thought, what kind of an idiot would fly into a tower on a day when it's crystal clear? But do you remember how you felt on September 12th? When you found out who it was, you found out what they did? Remember how you felt about those people? That's the feeling Jonah has for the Assyrians. So picture that in your own minds as we look at this study, that Jonah has that feeling when he gets this message from God to go to Nineveh. This is the last thing Jonah wants to do. He has no intention of going to Nineveh. But there is zero wiggle room in this description from God. Go to Nineveh and preach. Anybody not understand that? Crystal clear. Jonah's first mistake was he gave himself options. He gave himself options. He gave himself a choice. There really were none. It, it, go to Nineveh and preach. He'll t- God said, I'll take care of the rest. You just do what you're told. And if we look at verse 10, we're going to jump ahead to verse 10. And this is the part that jumped out at me. Uh, these men know nothing about Jonah. Later, we're going to find out on this boat later on. These men know nothing about Jonah. They don't know where he's from. They don't know what he does for a living. They don't know who his people are. They don't really, but, but look what it says in verse 10 as I read this. It says, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. It makes me wonder how that comes up in a conversation. You get on this boat and, hey, by the way, I'm running away from the Lord. Just wanted you to know that. I mean, it makes no sense to me unless you're almost proud of it. He's announcing it as he gets on this boat. I'm running away from the Lord, by the way. There was really no reason to offer that at that point. There was no reason. I don't even know why he threw that out there. But that just shows you the level of his disobedience as he heads away. But I'm reminded God has also given us clear commands in Scripture and how to live an obedient life. And we too, but often we choose disobedience. I mean, we all know there's Scriptures out there that are black and white. There's not a gray area. God has told us exactly what he wants us to do. And too often we give ourselves options. There really are no options. And we're going to look at some things here from the life of Christ. He's going to give us, we're going to, I just wrote down some commands that Christ gave us. And, uh, and this, is what, this is what Jesus said in John 14. He said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. It's automatic. You know, you're, you, like when your children obey you when you give them commands. And it's really frustrating as a parent when they don't listen to what you're telling them. And God, way, way more than us, feels that when we disobey, when we choose disobedience. And let's look at some of the teachings from Christ here. Jesus broke all the commands of Moses down into two, two things. He says, Worship God with all our heart and all our strength. That's a command from God. We're supposed to worship God with all our heart and all our strength. That's a command. Too often we make a choice not to do that. That's not just here in the service, singing songs. Our life is to be a worship service. Our focus is to be on Him with all of our heart and all of our soul. It means it takes great effort. It's not something that just comes easy or natural. We're supposed to work at it and make sure that we're worshiping God. But Jesus also said we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he takes it beyond that. He says, even our enemies. i got to tell you, this is one that slew me as I prepared this lesson. I do not love everybody like I love myself. I know I don't. I, I am more apt to go pick up a machine gun and go after people than I am to take a towel and wipe their feet. 
I mean, I, I have no desire to go be a missionary to Muslim terrorists. But that's what Jonah was called to do. It's, it slays me as I read that. That's a command from God. It's not an option. I, don't, I can't give myself an option there. Another thing Jesus said, he said we're supposed to serve God as part of the body of Christ. I mean, his parables are filled with sowing, tending, planning, seeking, using talents. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about us using our abilities and our service for his work. That's not an option for us. That is a clear command from God, and we are supposed to be using our talents and abilities for him. Another thing he says, and this, this is another command right from Jesus, go into the world and make disciples by teaching his word. We are commanded to do that. We're, we're supposed to be reproducing. We're supposed to be giving people hope in a hopeless society. And too often we give ourselves options. You know, it comes up, and this is a great thing Christians like to do. Well, I'll pray about it for a week, whether I should witness to my coworker. You don't have to pray about that. God wants us to do these things. Every time there's an opportunity to be a witness, do it. That, I know you don't have to go around with a big placard at work saying you're all going to hell you know, if you don't repent. But there's opportunities wherever you're at to spread the gospel of Christ. It's a command from God. We're not supposed to look for ways to get out of it. We're supposed to do the clear teachings of Scripture. And I'm reminded that obedience always leads to blessing. It always does. When we obey God, we make the right choice. He will bless us. We, we heard that testimony here this morning. It's great to see when God, somebody steps out in faith and they obey God, and we're surprised when God blesses us. We shouldn't be. Our, our heaven, you guys at Christmas that had kids. I'm sure you did a wonderful job of supplying good things for your children and for your grandchildren. But God is way more infinite than us and provides way more good things than we can ever imagine. If we simply make that choice. Jonah had a choice right out of the gate. Disobedience or obedience. He chooses disobedience. Well, let's jump ahead in the Scripture, and we'll see our next observation. The next observation I find is that direction affects our destination. Direction that we're headed. We're going to pick up the story in, in the second half of verse 3. It says, He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he would take notice of us and we will not perish. Just a little side note, next time you're on a flight, taking a nap, and when the captain and stewardess run back to you and say, Wake up, pray to God, you're all going to die, you can rest assured the flight's not going too well. <laughs> that is what happened here in the story. These are experienced sailors. Merchantmen, that's what they do, and when they run to you and wake you up and say, you better call on your God because we're going down, you can bet, you're, you're going down. These guys had not seen a storm like this, and they're pretty shook up. Well, direction affects our destination. You know, Jonah, you notice that? Jonah heads in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Nineveh is a trip that goes up northeast, and if you're going to go to Tarshish in Spain, you've got to go to the shore, so he's going to go all the way around, and he's going to head for Europe, which is the exact opposite direction where he's supposed to go. And, and remember this with Jonah now. He doesn't know that North America exists. He doesn't know that South America exists. He knows Asia's out there. He knows the western edge of Europe. It should be the western edge, not the eastern edge. Not only is he not going to Nineveh, he's going as far as he knows. That's probably the farthest place that he knows of. He's going to go the opposite direction. 
and even as far as he can think of. That's what Jonah's doing. That's the level of his disobedience here. But I'm reminded that God, like Jonah, God has a direction for our lives, that we're supposed to be heading. There's a general direction. And what gives us our direction? What gives us our bearing? What gives us our compass? It's God's word that gives our lives direction and guidance. We need to study it daily to stay on course. The Holy Spirit speaks to us as we're reading the Scripture. I can't stress, I could preach a whole sermon on reading Bibles. And here's what, I'm convinced in my own life, I remember when I was a young Christian, and I was totally not living for the Lord. I, went, I just thought, well, I'm saved, that's good enough. I don't really need anything more. And, and someone challenged me in a Sunday school class years ago um, to read my Bible daily. And, and I finally started doing that. And I was stunned months later as I realized the Holy Spirit really speaks to us through the Scriptures. We really need to take the time to read the Word. I, I can't stress that enough. It will change your life. It has nothing to do with wanting to do it either. I mean, Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. It's got nothing to do with wanting to. It's obeying even when we don't feel like it. And I'm telling you, reading your word every day can change your life. Now, the great thing about the Bible is it's not like if you're bored with parts of it, and I know you probably are, I'm like, I can't read numbers. I don't do Bible studies on that. I don't sit there and study that. But the neat thing about the Bible is if you like poetry, there's books on poetry. If you like action stories with people getting their heads cut off, we have those stories in there. If you like sappy love stories, if you like letters from somebody to somebody else, I mean, if you like to study the life of Christ, you can pick out whatever part you want, and God has a part in there that he'll speak to you through that. And the Holy Spirit gives us direction as we read his word. We, if we want to be heading the right direction, I'm convinced we have to be reading our, our Bibles. I believe it has to be daily or, or almost every day, and I can't stress that enough. It will change your life if you're reading your scripture every day. That's when the Holy Spirit speaks through us. And in Acts 17, it tells us the Bereans were considered more noble character because they studied the word. They heard the sermon, and they went home, they cracked their word open, and they listened, they talked about it, and they see if it matched up with the word. That's what we're supposed to be doing. God considers that more noble character. And guess what? If we don't do it, God takes notice to that too. God notices when you do it. He notices when you don't do it. Because it just, it just shows what direction your life is heading. Jesus tells us in John 15, it tells us that uh, there's some conditions for producing fruit and experiencing answered prayer. And Jesus said this, if my words remain in you and if you obey my commands, then things will happen. If, how can his words remain in us if we're not in the word? I, it's hard to do that. I had four years of French. And, and in French class, by the time you get to the fourth year, we weren't allowed to speak any English. And everything you did was in French. And I got to parlez-vous français, s'il vous plaît, très bon. Do you think I can do that now? All these years removed? I don't, and I just said all the French I know right there. That's, that's about all I can remember. Because the words don't remain in me, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Same thing's true with God's word. You want to keep that fire kindled in your heart? You want the Holy Spirit to speak through you? You've got to be reading the word. That's, that gives us direction and guidance, no doubt in my mind. Well, let's go on to the third observation that I find the book of Jonah. This is really going fast, isn't it? We're going to be out here pretty quick. I know y'all are sad about that. <laughs> the third point, dedication. I never said it was lengthy. I'm thorough here, but we're not. Dedication affects our destination. Dedication. Not only the direction we're going, 
Not only our obedience, but also our dedication. And we're going to jump ahead here in the story to verse 7, chapter 1. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. It's a wonder they even had to do that since he had already told them he was running away from God. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? See, they didn't know anything about him. He'd already told him he was running away from God. What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And this is my personal favorite part of the story. When our hero really steps to the front, he says, Row me back, and I'll go to Nineveh. No, he doesn't say that. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and I'll bet they did. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They realized that God actually controlled the sea. This is where we see the dedication and service of Jonah. What was he dedicated to? His nation. The last thing he wanted was to see his enemy come to repentance. We find that out later on in the story. He's dedicated to his own agenda, to his own his own desires, he would rather die than go to Nineveh. He doesn't know that verse 17 is coming. All he knows is, throw me into the sea, I'll die, and everything will be fine. It's amazing to me, this, his dedication to his country, what a great patriot he was, disobedient to the Lord. Also, I also noticed that the sailors showed way more compassion to Jonah than Jonah was willing to show to a whole nation. They, I mean, if you were on an airline, we talked about this the other night with my brother-in-law. If you're on an airline and the plane's going down and someone runs over to you, and I mean, it's going down in flames, and someone says, if you throw me out the window, this, this will all go away and everybody will be safe. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Won't we? Won't we just, boo? Too bad for you. Not these guys. They're like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. They're going to try to row back to land. They show way more compassion and mercy on Jonah than Jonah's willing to show on anybody else. It's amazing to me. You know, our lives as Christ followers is to be marked with dedication and service for him. Do you know that? If you accepted Christ as your Savior, your life is supposed to be marked by your dedication, your commitment, your service. Everybody should be able to see that. It shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't have to have a, a, a congressional hearing to see if maybe he was a Christian or not. Let's get all the evidence in and see, you know, up or down. It should be obvious. I mean, it should be obvious. Um, and re- what's the reason for that? Well, why did God save us? Do you ever wonder that? When we talk about that, why, why does God save me? Is it just so you won't burn? I mean, that's, that's a nice benefit. But God saves us to glorify him. That's the whole purpose of your existence. If you're a Christian and you accept your Christ as Savior, that's the only reason that he has you. He wants to see you glorify him through your life, through your actions, and spend eternity with him and glorify him in heaven. 
That's what we're going to do there. It's going to be an awesome time. I can't wait. I can't wait. And the reason for that, let's go to verse, um, as a Christian, I have no right of ownership. That's what we want to say. I have no right of ownership to myself. And I want to show you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or if you want to hear me read it, that's fine too. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And oftentimes we use this verse to talk about taking care of our bodies. But listen to this. Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You and I, we think we're in control of things. We think we can do what we want to do. We, we do have freedom in Christ. We thank God for that freedom. But we are not our own. We need to be usable servants. Our dedication should not be our own agendas, our own plans, our own desires, but it should be our, we should be dedicated to the cause of Christ. James tells us in James chapter 2 that uh, faith not accompanied by action is what? It's dead. It's dead. Our faith, there's some Christians that I know, you couldn't even find one thing they've ever done. I came to my, my life like that. When I was a young man, I remember hearing a sermon from Charles Stanley. And it was, it was, the sermon was called, The Judgment for Christians. And, and I'd never heard that before. I mean, I, I knew I was getting out of the big judgment, which is all I cared about. I wasn't going to burn. And then and there was this judgment for Christians. And I realized for the first time as I heard that, that everything I did was going to somehow pass through this fire and only the stuff that I had done for Christ was going to pass through. And as I sat there that night, I could not think of one thing that I could think of ever that was going to pass through that fire. I couldn't think of anything. Where are you at? I mean, you, I mean and, and this, is the, this is the great thing. Jesus said this. It's not that complicated. If you even give a cup of water in my name to someone, doing it as, as a Christ follower, then you're, it's like you're doing it for him. Those are the things that are going to survive. It's really not that hard. There's all kinds of things we can be doing for Christ. Our life should be marked with it. We should be dedicated to it. I, I, I made a vow that night that I was going to change my life around. I was going to try to start living for the Lord instead of living for myself because that's all I'd ever done. That's the very purpose that he gives us for living is for serving him. I remember, <laughs> I remember years ago, it was actually 1992, when some, some pastor came to me and, and said... Uh, they needed someone to teach second grade Sunday school. And, and he said, I think you could have a, a good ministry with, with children. And, and I thought to myself, did it ever occur to you I don't want one? <laughs> I, I did not want a ministry. With, I had no interest in that whatsoever, any way, shape, or form. But we, we got thinking about it. And here's what I think we, we missed. When, when opportunity meets ability, I think we should act on it. I don't think we need to deliberate for two, three, four weeks to see if we should maybe meet that need. If opportunity meets ability, I believe the answer is yes. If you get into a ministry, like say I got in Sunday school and I was really horrible at it. Josh, am I horrible at it? Thank you, son. <laughs> Man, that was, that, was, that was risky. I was really hanging out there. If you're horrible at it, God will get you out of it. You know, if you get into a ministry and it doesn't work out, you'll know it doesn't work out. 
But when opportunity meets ability, I think we should step in and meet that need. I don't think it's, I think it's, the answer should almost always be yes when those two collide. Sometimes we can't meet that need, but most times I think we can. That's, that's just me, I'm keeping it real. You like that? You like that? Keeping it real. Well, I'm glad I taught Sunday school because it changed my life around. And I wouldn't be standing here today and I wouldn't have the stories to tell. And I thought, there's a lot of kids in here today that I actually had. If you ever in one of my Sunday school classes, please raise your hand. Elizabeth, look at that, see? I never dreamed that I would be have young people in my, at this age when I taught second grade Sunday school. And hopefully we had some kind of impact in their lives. But uh, when opportunity meets ability, go for it. If it's a mistake, you'll know. Well, the fourth observation I came up with here from the book of Jonah is that divine intervention and intercession affects our destination. And aren't we thankful for that? We're going to look at some verses. We're going to jump now through Jonah. We're not going to just go straight through the story, but I want, I want you to see verse 17, divine intervention. Jonah's running away. They throw him into the water. But, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. I often wondered about the provided a great fish. It could be that he provided a fish for this very occasion. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, he, he made everything that ever existed. He certainly could come up with one more as a holding tank for a human being if he wanted to. But God provided a great, don't get caught up in that. Well, there's no fish that we know of that could actually hold a human for three days. Yeah, that may be true, but perhaps God provided a great fish for this very occasion. God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. God steps in. Jonah thinks he's in control. God says, mm-mm, I'll step right in here. I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 10. And then Jonah gives this great prayer in chapter 2. And I don't know if he prayed it exactly like that when he's in there, but he had plenty of time to think about it. Three days and three nights inside of, of a fish creature would probably change your mind too. <laughs> verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The fish did exactly what God told it to do. Probably was nice. And, oh, God probably made that as messy as he could. Just mess that man up. Get him out on the beach. I can't imagine what that was like. But he, God intervened and stepped through and worked in his life. And we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. Now Jonah's got the second chance. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to them in the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Some of the archaeological finds, it's not just one city. It's, it's, a, it's a whole metropolitan area, very big area. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. There he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with his compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that, that we will not perish. And here's what I want to get at, verse 10. This is the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. 
and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Aren't you glad for divine intervention and intercession in our lives where God steps in? And even through all of Jonah's stubborn disobedience, God was still in complete control. Never stepped out from his authority. The storm, the sea, the fish, everything was under his authority. And the greatest miracle, God speaks to the men of Nineveh and stirs their hearts to repentance as God spoke through a reluctant prophet in Jonah. And I, I, we want to see the proof of that. What's the proof that these guys actually repented? And it's in Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to read for you Matthew 12, 41. I'll probably have to back up to get the context of this. Then some of the prophecies and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there three days. If you have any problem with believing the miracle of Jonah, Jesus had no problem with it. Understood it completely. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And here's what we want to get at. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus tells us that these men actually were genuine in their repentance. And God stirred people's hearts. And they came to repentance. And they will actually stand up at the judgment. This is the irony of Jonah. They will stand up at the judgment and condemn Israelites. Because they had faith. And the Israelites didn't. The very thing Jonah was going to protect is the very thing that God condemned. And the very thing that he condemned, God protected and God saved and God caused repentance. It's a great intervention. It's a great mystery of God that he reaches down to lost people. And, and I'm reminded in our lives today that it's God that keeps us headed in the right direction. We get off that beaten path. We, we get on a wrong turn. And I'm so thankful that God's there to turn us back in the right direction. And even in the midst of our stubborn rebellion and disobedience, God is controlling the circumstances in our lives. He is. And I'm so thankful for that in my own life. We could all give stories of what God's done in our lives to keep us on the, beaten, on the right path. Praise Him. And I'm reminded from Ephesians chapter 1, talk, speaking of God, it said, He who, who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of His will. Everything, I don't understand how that, I mean, if I stood here and told you, I understand that completely. How we have choices and free choices, and yet God's still in control, and everything works out for his will, but yet we can still do what we want to do, and yet God wanted man to sin, but yet he didn't want him to sin. I don't understand all of that, but I know this much. God has everything working in conformity to his will. It never stops. His will is always carried out. Even especially, We see it dramatized here in Jonah. Jonah thought he was in control. God said, ah, no, you're, you're going to Nineveh one way or the other. If he had to drag him there, he would have. Could have used a pterodactyl and drug him all the way into Nineveh. That would have been awesome. But it, it encourages me. It encourages me in this. We are not forgotten faces in the crowd. It's easy to feel that way. I know around the holidays, a lot of people feel lonely when they're alone. They don't have family around. And it's easy to feel like somehow we are just unimportant. If you look at the vastness of space and all the people that ever lived and everybody around you, it's so easy to feel unimportant. But God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And he cares enough about each one of us to work in our lives it's just encouraging to me for all he does. I mean, and, he, and he's got to, you know, this is it. We've got to be plugged into him. You know, we, we're so worried about getting God, but God needs us to just get on board, and, and he's in control. We need to get plugged into our lives. We need to obey God. We need to make sure that our direction is in the right direction because we get so sidetracked so easily. 
Make sure you're diligent and you're committed to him. And God will keep us in the right direction. He'll keep us all the way to the end. And I'm so thankful that, that we don't have to worry about global warming, end times, and everything's out of control. It seems like it is. God has everything under control. I don't have to worry. I've never lost a minute's sleep because of global warming. I know that God has a plan. It's going to get real warm someday. It's going to get real warm, but it's got nothing to do with man. It doesn't. And I'm so glad that he's in control. Well, let's look at some conclusions before we leave here today. And I jotted them all down here. They should be on the screen, I think. Like Jonah, God has given us a clear call of duty. It's, there's no gray areas there. There's black and white commands that God wants us to do. Obedience is the evidence of true salvation. If you live in constant disobedience to God, I don't believe you can be saved. I believe, I believe what I live in disobedience in my life as a Christian many times, and what God always does is he brings you back around. And, and sometimes it's not pleasant. But if you accepted Christ as Savior, the true evidence of it is obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, if you really fear me, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's that simple. Number two, the Holy Spirit is able to reveal awesome truths to us when we read our Bibles. Take time each day to learn from the Word. It will change your Christian walk. I believe the, Christ, the Holy Spirit speaks through us mainly as we read the Word. I believe we get stirred as we listen to messages like this, but this is not going to impact. You come back three weeks from now, you're going to have no idea what I said. But hopefully... As you read the word, as you stir to do that, God speaks awesomely through his word. There's things that jump out. You can read something 10,000 times and still pick out new things. It's amazing. I don't know of any other book that's like that. I've read a lot of books I didn't want to read in my life, but none of them had that impact that the Bible does. It's amazing. I can't stress that enough. If you're not reading your Bible today, if you're not regularly reading your word, even if you don't want to do it, just do it. You'll be surprised what happens. Read your Bible. If you, I tell you what, if you don't read your Bible every day, start doing it tomorrow. Come back to me in four weeks and tell me how it's going. Say, is it better or worse in your Christian life? Just do that. Take me up on it. I'll give you five bucks if, you're, if you say it. No. That's okay. I, I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, number three, what direction is your spiritual life headed? Are you walking closer, drifting away? You know, we never stand still. One thing I've learned in the Christian I never stand still. I'm either going upward or i just kind of going back down. There's never a plateau. There is a plateau with certain things like exercise. You can kind of plateau and not gain anything. Not in spiritual life. You're either going up or you're going down. We don't drift closer to God. It's amazing how it is. We sure don't. You've got to keep pressing on toward the finish line, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when we don't want to do things. We need to press on. How is your commitment to serving the Lord? Are you looking for opportunities to serve and tell others the good news of Christ? Or are you running away? You know what? If we're running away, if we're not doing the clear commands of God, we're just like Jonah. There is absolutely no difference in my mind between us and Jonah, and oftentimes in our lives, we are Jonah. So be careful when you condemn Jonah, because we're a lot like that. We really are. Be amazed at our awesome, sovereign God. He reaches down in our seemingly insignificant lives and works through events to turn our focus to him. Be amazed at his grace and never lose that feeling of gratitude for your salvation. Aren't you glad he gives us second, third, 50th, 100th, 10,000th chances? Aren't you glad that when it comes to pride, example, you have like 52 chances on pride, and once you hit that, that's it, he's done with you? Because, you know, there's sins that we can't, we can't help but do. I'm convinced that when we do good things, there's always there are little fingerprints of, of selfishness. Even when we do, I mean, 
Like my daughter got that free gift outside. There's somebody that did it in grace. If that was me, I'd kind of like stand so they knew it was me. Hey, just want to know. I mean, there is. There's that pride in each of us. But aren't you glad that God gives us second chances like he did Jonah? I mean, I don't care where you're at today. I don't care how your Christian walk, what your deal is. I mean, it doesn't matter. God's there to give us a second chance, a third chance, 50th chance. Whenever you t- he meets us where we're at, whenever we turn to him. Aren't you amazed at that? We're not like that. We're nothing like that, man. I give you like two chances and that's it. But God, not God. I, I just can't ever get over that. But I'm reminded today that, that perhaps you've never taken that first step of obedience. I mean, maybe you're still living. I mean, I, I teach Sunday school to kids, and I always assume that there's kids in there that don't know Christ or they're pretending. I mean, I get this, a lot of kids I, I teach are church kids. They've been in church their whole lives, and they will always give church answers. And then you say, oh, you know, who did this or that? Oh, I'm, I don't know, but I'll say Jesus. You know, I, God. I think that's what you want to hear, so here it comes. You know, I, I fight against that. It's so easy in human nature to do that. But, but uh, perhaps you're here. Maybe you come every week, and maybe you don't really know Christ as Savior. Maybe you've never really come to that point of accepting Christ, realizing that you're lost and hopeless. I got news for you. If you've never accepted Christ, your destination is not pretty. I can't even imagine, and I've always thought this, as perfect as heaven is, heaven is the perfect reward, right? Perfect. Couldn't be any better. God, Jesus says it's paradise. As perfect as it is, Hell is the perfect punishment. God, everything God does is perfect. Couldn't get any worse. If you never accepted Christ, that's your destination. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another minute. Realize your loss. Cry out to Christ with his death on the cross. And be amazed at God. Thank you for his forgiveness. Well, sometimes we're hard on Jonah. Sometimes we look at him and say, man, what a fool. But you know what? When we're not obeying the clear commands of God, when our lives are headed the wrong direction, when our our dedication and focus is off of him, we're just like Jonah. Aren't you thankful for a God that forgives us, meets us where we're at, gives us a second chance? Praise God. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I truly praise you as I study this word. We look at the story of Jonah. I see a gracious, kind God. Not only were you kind and gracious to Jonah to give him a second chance, but you reached out to a whole nation of people that, that weren't even looking for you. And you showed awesome, awesome compassion and stirred their hearts to repentance. And we're going to share heaven with folks from Nineveh who were saved through the work of a reluctant prophet. Lord, I thank you for your work that it never ceases, it never finishes, and that you're always in control. We're just amazed at you. I pray for everyone here today, Lord. I pray that each one knows you as Savior, and I pray that each one, when they leave this place, will have a new commitment, and that, that, that my heart also will be committed to serving you, looking for opportunities to do your work, and staying on the course. I pray we would do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs>